Angeli, welcome back. What's going on? Hey, uh, thanks for having me back. And once again, I'm sitting in a closet. <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> journalism. A lot of family who's not in journalism has questions about what I do. And when I throw them, I haul it out a closet to make it a recording studio for a day. They just have so many more questions. <laughs> Well, welcome into Temperature Check, a podcast from Grist. Temperature Check is a weekly show about climate, race, and culture. Uh, my name is Andrew Simon. And on today's show, we will have a conversation with Dr. Gore Basu, whose primary work is to help health professionals make connections between health, climate, and equity and environmental justice. Dr. Basu is the founding co-director of the Cambridge Health Alliance Center for Health Equity Education and Advocacy and teaches at Harvard Medical School. But first, let's talk global warming with today's uh, co-host, Angelie Mercado. It's getting hot in here, Andrew. Oh my goodness. All right. So that we let's keep this moving. Um, so Angelie is Gris Environmental Justice Fellow. And you know, Angelie, you just wrote about this. November was apparently the hottest November ever, right? Yes. Anecdotally, I experienced it because there were several days that were just unseasonably warm, especially here in NYC when as a child, yeah. it would be freezing by November. I would have to wear a coat right. by November. Right. But there's also data. So according to the European Union's mm. Climate Agency, the average global temperatures were 0.1 degrees Celsius higher than the previous warmer Novembers, mm. which was in 2016 and 2019. Might be pretty uh, obvious, but you know, who or what is to blame here? Is, you know, is it just the same old, same old with carbon emissions? I mean, yeah, what's the deal here? Yeah, as usual, it's um, large corporate polluters, carbon emissions, mm. heat islands, all of these things come together that keeps mm. heat trapped. And so we just experience warmer weather for longer. Right. And 2020 as a year could also go down as the hottest year on record, right? I mean, I know we're not quite there, but why, why is that? It's because we're experiencing the same trends that we did back in like 2016. It was extremely warm in that year. Mm. And if we keep reaching these records, it will eventually be the hottest year overall on record. Well, hey, there's a reason we call this podcast Temperature Check. Um, this might be a good time to get uh, into our interview with Dr. Basu. Uh, again, he'll tell us more about some of the connections between climate and public health. So, Angeli, uh, if you're game, please stick around with us. Uh, it's a good conversation. And once again, this is Temperature Check from Grist. Hi, I'm Mirka, the Social Media Engagement Fellow at Grist.org. Temperature Check is a new show about climate, race, and culture produced by Grist and made possible by listeners like you. Founded in 1999, Grist remains committed to changing the national narrative around climate. And as a nonprofit, none of our work is possible without the steady and loyal support from people like you. At a time when our global community demands action to address the climate crisis, our work at Grist has never been more important. Every day we work tirelessly to bring you the climate news that matters most. And for us to engage our audience of millions of people, we need you. So thank you for joining today's episode, and please consider making a donation to Grist today. Donate now, and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Thanks for tuning in. And now my conversation with Dr. Gora Basu. 
Dr. Basu, even before COVID hit, you've been really outspoken about the connections between climate change, public health, particularly in communities of color and communities on the front lines of uh, pollution and climate change. Would you just explain uh, some of the ways in which climate and public health are connected as a starting point? Yeah, I think that climate change is the greatest threat to human health that we've ever faced. Uh, And on the flip side of it, I believe that bold, ambitious, courageous policy to mitigate climate change and end uh, greenhouse gas emissions is one of the most potent things we can do for human beings and for the health of human beings and for my patients. And so for me as a doctor, health is such a vehicle for me to speak about Mm. how climate change impacts people. You know, I think what's challenging about climate change is it can feel abstract. Yeah. You know, emissions are invisible. We can't see them. We can't tell the way day in, day out climate change might be impacting us until a major natural disaster or something like that. So I find my work to do the translational work of explaining how climate change impacts health. And I think of it as nine major ways. And what are those nine ways in which climate change impacts health? Uh, Lay it on us. The things I think about right away in terms of the intersection of climate change and health um, is food insecurity, water scarcity, infectious diseases, natural disasters, heat-related diseases, respiratory diseases, mental health. And then I think a lot about the health implications of things like forced migration and political conflict. And what what you'll see really quickly in those things I listed out is that these are not just issues of health, but of health equity, and that uh, communities of color, communities that do not have resources at baseline, are being strained profoundly by the threats of climate change. And Gorb, you've you've written about this. Gris has also written about this. But since you're in the business of explaining, uh, explaining how climate change and the COVID crisis in particular are connected. Deforestation is the first Mm. thing that comes to my mind. Um, And so what's important to understand about COVID is that it started in bats. It's a zoonotic disease. That means it started in animals and then it made its way into the human population. And so what I think is critical as we look forward and say we never want to do this again, I think one of the most critical pandemic mitigation policies we must have is really writing our relationship with nature. And there's a bunch of viruses like this floating around natural habitats. And bats and other animals live in an ecological equilibrium, being able to like harbor these viruses, and it doesn't bother them. We don't have immunity. We've never been exposed to it. So as we kind of keep encroaching into natural habitats, we get closer to these animals by going to places in nature that we haven't been cutting down forests and getting closer to them, we are increasing the risks of the next pandemic. The second one I'll mention is that there's increasing understandings of the impacts of air pollution for people who are infected with the coronavirus. And of course, these are communities of color and poor communities mostly. There's some seminal kind of preliminary studies from the Harvard School of Public Health that's showing if you're infected with this virus and you've been exposed to chronic air pollution, particulate matter 2.5, your chances of dying are much higher. Did you see a public health crisis like this playing out at some point in our lifetime? You know, whether it was driven by what we now call COVID or some other infectious disease. I mean, did you see this coming? Myself, no, but Mm. many of my colleagues did. Uh, And many of my colleagues and, you know, very brilliant people have been saying, we are really at risk for this. We're not ready for this. The kindling was always there. And and it was frankly, it was hard for us to imagine get this bad. We went through H1N1 and Ebola and saw to some extent, a a robust reaction, but COVID hasn't had that public health infrastructure in place to respond to it, and it's a highly infectious disease. But what I would also say is that 
COVID, as climate does, really challenges us to look at these kind of broken systems around us. It's really listening and watching mm. the ways in which these two things have taught us what systems are broken. And, and we really need to listen and respond to that and, and kind of heal those systems so that we can make a more fair, more healthy society into the future. And, and given that you're a working primary care physician, I'm wondering if you might share a story or two about patients you've treated this year uh, that speak to these connections between environmental health and COVID? Actually, two of them come to mind. Uh, one was this older gentleman, pretty healthy, doing pretty well. And out of nowhere, he was hospitalized, very confused with mm. the temperature, and slowly over the course of a hospitalization became completely disoriented, unable to walk, unable to speak, and was a real mystery case. Mm. The hospital docs who were taking care of him were really thoughtful, very uh, comprehensive. And when they took fluid from his spine, they found West Nile virus in there. Mm. And what came to be is that they found that he had West Nile encephalitis, which means that this virus had caught inflammation in the fluid around his brain and spine. And so why am I talking about West Nile? Well, West Nile virus is a mosquito-borne illness. And what we know is that mosquitoes really like warm temperatures. Right. They have longer breeding seasons, their metabolism and the reproduction of the virus can change in warmer temperatures. I live in Massachusetts, and that's not something I think about if someone has a fever uh, and is disoriented. That's not a first thing I think about as a doctor for a diagnosis. Uh, and so what this patient taught me is that, you know, we're pretty concerned about increasing incidence of mosquito-borne illnesses like West Nile, malaria, dengue, things like that. So it's an example of infectious diseases threatening our patients in a way that they didn't as the temperatures uh, around us change. Yeah. When was the moment when you realized you needed to pursue this path of educating uh, the medical community about climate? Yeah. Well, well, I'll start by saying I think medicine at its best is seeing people, mm. it's honoring their humanity and their dignity. As I gone on in my career, I just realized that we needed to have better systems in place to have equitable and healthier outcomes. I, I will admit to you that I was not awoken to the threat of climate change as soon as I should have been. And it really was the IPCC report mm. in 2018 that was a real light yeah. bulb moment for yeah. me. It was an awakening. That 2018 IPCC report was huge, right? I mean, certainly they're all important, but this one in particular uh, did say that we now have about a decade to significantly reduce carbon emissions. This 2018 report, I think, was really a moment for a lot of people, not just me. But what it did was it, it explained the difference. It mapped out, it kind of modeled out what the difference of warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius versus 2 degrees Celsius, what that could look like. So in my work, you know, it helped me understand how many more people are going to be exposed to things like extreme heat or like crop yields, how much worse those would be. So, you know, and it also just mapped out that we need to, you know, decarbonize fully uh, with no emissions by mid-century and get about halfway there by 2030. And for me, it just created a profound sense of urgency and understanding how far we had to go and how quickly we need to go. And what I realized in reading that report, for whatever reason, my wife was pregnant at that time, I just read that report with certain eyes that I hadn't had before. Mm. You know, I really like that you use the word dignity because whether it is worrying about, you know, clean drinking water or whether it's worrying about uh, sea level rise, there's a certain dignity to that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And with my background in global health, I, I keep picturing these families in the midst of these natural disasters, running away from natural disasters. Yeah. 
And, and because we are not being courageous enough to make policy change here in, in the developed world, right? The developing world has done so little to cause these emissions um, and really are not at fault for the challenge of climate change, but are bearing the brunt of it. Having their basic needs of food and water, you know, these resources being taken or threatened at least from them. You know, the word that comes to me is that is undignified and we have to do better and yeah. we will do better. I feel like we must and so we will. Well, speaking of policy and change, uh, another big part of your work is teaching medical students about advocacy. What exactly are you teaching students about advocacy and why is this even needed? Well, healthcare professionals are an extremely trusted uh, field in this mm -hmm. work. And so, you know, there's been studies showing that primary care doctors, nurses are among the most trusted sources of information mm. on climate change in society. So it's a huge opportunity for us, again, to do that translational work of saying, hey, I know it might feel abstract to worry about greenhouse gas emissions. Here's why it matters to you. Here's why it matters to your health and the health of your loved ones. And so I think education is such an important piece of making this cadre of uh, the workforce, right. uh, being able to do that. I think we also need to be trained to understand these broader societal threats and these systemic injustices um, and not only know about them, but then also develop skill sets to be able to speak up about them. Yeah, and the younger generations of climate activists uh, really see this as their burden to bear, right? Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you're seeing an equivalent of that in the medical community. Absolutely. I mean, it's a total inspiration for me. Yeah. And I look around at the students and they get the connections. They're asking for this education. Yeah. They are ready for it. They know it. They want to be well-versed on it. And they're leading in a lot of ways that they shouldn't have to, right? Well, right, because part of the mission of the work, uh, as I'm understanding it, is to build up this next generation of medical leaders, right? Yeah. To, to make sure there is this generation of leaders uh, in medicine that are fluent climate environmental justice, et cetera, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we can speak to the impacts on health, right? Yeah. And I think health yeah. is a potent yeah. vehicle for conversation about this. You know, for me, I want to be at the table with an engineer and a transportation expert mm. and a policymaker and a researcher and a climate scientist. And so, you know, one thing we try to teach also is that you don't have to be a climate scientist. You don't have to be uh, an atmospheric expert or something like that. We all have a place in this work, right? And so because my community is the medical community, I want to speak that um, message to our students and to our residents that's saying, listen, you are well-versed on, on these disease processes. You can understand the connections between West Nile virus and warmer temperatures and how that can impact your patients. That's a critical part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of research that shows during medical education that people lose their inspiration, their connection to their values. Mm. And so I want people to be deeply connected to those values and, and then suddenly find within themselves the solutions to a lot of these big problems. And speaking of solutions, in an op-ed you wrote for Gris earlier this year, uh, I think you mentioned that you and your wife host community climate gatherings at your home, where you invite public officials and others to talk policy and solutions. And that sounds really cool. It makes me wonder how you're trying to bring awareness to environmental inequities outside of the medical community, too, as a way to advance change. Yeah. I'll be honest. When, when I had that awakening and during the IPCC mm -hmm. report, it was really scary for me. Yeah. And, and the emotions of this is something that I really want to kind of uplift mm, and, and mm. be explicit about. It really scared me. Mm. And I kind of guarded up and I got paralyzed, you know, huh. because it felt so overwhelming. In the last few years, I think as I've kind of gotten my bearings and my work, 
that fear has translated into determination. Mm. But a big part of that, that evolution for me was community. And these community climate gatherings were a real vehicle. I mean, selfishly for me, it allowed me to just have people come over to our home and sit together. And, and so we'd have city councilors, state reps, nonprofit leaders kind of talk about a specific issue in climate change. All right, let's talk about the food systems. Let's talk about transportation. Let's talk about energy. Let's talk mm. about environmental justice. So we talk about a topic and the emotion of it almost always came out, huh, you know? Yeah. And I think holding the emotion of this work is as critical as getting well-versed in it, knowing things, and then knowing how to develop a skill set to make change. And suddenly people start signing up for organizations and starting to do work. And suddenly where you felt paralyzed before, there was a lot of outlets and connections in which you could make change. And I think once you start feeling that you can make a small bit of change, you keep going. And I wonder if you can cite any any victories or wins? We have not been able to make the federal progress we need uh, in the last four years. But so much has changed at the state level. And there has been, I think, a lot of courage that's happened uh, in those state legislatures that has changed the way in which we look at what is possible. And then I've seen what other countries are doing as well. You know, you look at the European Union and many other countries around the world, and, and let's hope in the coming four years, we really hop back into that global community and join people. But there's there's a lot of momentum there. I, I think my the greatest win is the activation of our youth, though. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I mentioned how active that is, I think, in the medical community. And I think many of our medical students are a part of those youth movements movements, you know, more broadly, the challenge with climate change is seeing it, you know, and if people of good faith can see it, there's no way you can't feel like this is a moral issue of our time, right? I believe that once those attitude changes, policy is going to come right after it. And I think that time is now. Yeah. And this year we had this coming together of public outcries around racial injustice as the pandemic has been happening. And from your perspective, you know, how is this year potentially move the needle on creating more public awareness around environmental injustices? I think especially with the backdrop of COVID, it has pushed many people, and probably myself too, to realize that we've got to have the courage to do big things. Yeah. And to get to the root of these problems, you know, and kind of going at the surface or the margins of things is not going to be good enough because we don't want to live the way that we are right now. And so once you get in there and you say that we are going to look at the ways in which air pollution is impacting children of color, um, making them have to go to uh, the hospital because of asthma exacerbations. Why is it that all that fossil fuel infrastructure is in a community of color, right? It it wouldn't be allowed in the wealthier community. Why is it that the heat islands are in the communities of color? Why aren't there Mm. tree canopies there? Why is it 15 degrees hotter on a hot day? You know, and, and, you know, for me, the picture of that is I can't stop thinking about my older patients who are sweating through heat waves and don't have an air conditioner, you know, and, and have major threats to cardiovascular health, to strokes, things like that. I'm hopeful that we'll just, it'll allow us to have more courage going forward. Gorb, how do you take care of yourself through all of this? (laughs) You know, this is a year that has been hard enough on medical professionals and essential workers trying to save lives and heal people due to COVID. And you're out there doing that and trying to solve for climate change and environmental injustices. So how do you just sustain? 
That's a very kind question. I, I, I will start by saying I feel like I have a lot of privileges mm. and I've got a beautiful and wonderful family. I've got enough resources to to be able to get through this so far. And so many of my patients don't, you mm. know, and, and so we see patients you know, the virus coursing through their body, but it's also them not having enough food for that day and not knowing where to take their kids. And, you know, I think there's major gender issues of who's taking care of kids yeah. as people are trying to survive through this and, and leaving the workforce and things like that. So certainly uh, healthcare professionals are pretty drained yeah. and pretty frayed. And it's been hard when a lot of these public health messages have not been taking on across the yeah. country. So, you know, meditation is very important to me. Mm. Uh, my two kids, one's three years old and one's one, they're uh, a real source of inspiration and joy for me. I told you I felt pretty scared about a lot of these big threats a couple of years ago. And somehow I've just gotten to the place of feeling just so determined. Mm. It's just like almost like we've got to do it. I'll definitely be going on vacation when this is all done too. <laughs> And moving on to the final segment of the show, where we do something a little offbeat and a little different. So again, today we have a doctor in the house, Dr. Gora Basu, and we thought we'd put together a little pop culture doctor trivia for you, Gora. So let me explain what this means. We'll be giving you hints about five well-known doctors, and you'll just have to guess uh, which doctor we're talking about. Andrew, I'm nervous. This is the part that I'm worried about. <laughs> this trivia stuff. I'm not good at trivia, Andrew. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm confident. Um, All right. I'm ready, though. I'm ready as I'll ever be. So these may or may not be actual doctors, but they have the word doctor in the name. So uh, you good to go? <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Okay. Here's your hint for doctor number one. This person is an acclaimed rapper and producer and was in the seminal West Coast hip-hop group NWA. Which doctor is this? Dr. Dre. See? There you go. One right. of one. All right. We got one. <laughs> Dr. Dre, real name is Andre Young. Um, of course, also uh, one of the entrepreneurs behind Beats by Dre. Okay, moving on. This doctor isn't actually a person. It's actually the name of a popular song and album by the 80s heavy metal band Motley Crue. What is the name of that song and album? I don't got it, Andrew. I was just a child in the 80s. I didn't know it. <laughs> well, fair enough. It is called Dr. Feelgood and featured hits like Kickstart my heart. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right. I think they were considered a hair band. So maybe maybe you, you weren't doing the hair band thing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this next doctor is not related to music. Uh, instead, he's a best-selling children's author. That's Sam I am. That's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Who wrote books like Green Eggs and Ham, The Cat in the Hat. What is the name of this doctor? Dr. Seuss. You got it. Bingo. I don't know what the background on that is. Why that name? Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Oh, gosh. Sounds like a, a podcast episode. Yeah, um, I know. Maybe not for a temperature check, <laughs> but for another one. Medical stories and medical origin stories. <laughs> medical mysteries. Fiction. Yeah, medical mysteries. Exactly. 
Um, okay. Uh, boy, you're, you are being a team player here. So thank you so much. And I said team player intentionally because the next one's a sports related doctor. Uh, this now retired NBA player is a hall of famer. He played basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers back in the eighties. So we're going back to the eighties again, uh, and was known for scintillating dunks and an infamous tussle with Boston's own Larry Bird. Uh, who is this doctor? Dr. J. Okay. See Dr. J, AKA Julius Irving. Beautiful dunks. Unbelievable dunks. Now, are you a sports fan at all, Gorb? I well, I know you are, and I am too. <laughs> that that is uh that's that that's my refuge. I grew up in the Bay Area, so I'm a, a Warriors fan. Okay. If you said you were a Boston sports fan, I I would just leave it at that. You know, someone from New Jersey and who lived in New York for a long time, I I probably was just gonna leave it at that. I'll put it that way. Look, it's it's not easy. I am trying to get these two young kids to be Bay Area sports fans while living in Boston. <laughs> I'm working at it. Okay. And the last question, uh, this doctor is actually part of an animated Disney series. The series premiered back in 2012, and it's about a young black girl who wants to be a doctor, just like her mother. Uh, She opens up a clinic to treat her dolls and stuffed animals. What is the name of this animated doctor? I don't know that one, Andrew. Dr. McStuffins. Oh, I know the name, but I have not come across it. But we've got some watching to do. We got we, <laughs> the kids are are jumping at cartoons these days, so I'm going to take that as a recommendation. Well, Gorab, you did great. You got three out of five right, and uh, yeah, just thank you so much for speaking with us today. Uh, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Um, before you bounce, uh, where can people find your work? Uh, yeah, so I'm the co-director of the Center for Health Equity, Education, and Advocacy. You can find our website there and different courses we're teaching. My Twitter is uh, at Gora Besu, M-D-M-P-H. And so I've been trying to use that. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Gora. Thanks, Andrew. It was so good to hear from Dr. Basu about his work and about the connections between public and planetary health, as he calls it. What do you think, Angelie? I thought it was great, and I really liked the quiz portion. More podcasts should have quizzes. Oh, goodness. I know. We really um, stuck it to him, but I thought he did okay. That he did okay. Um, <laughs> well, all right, Angelie, I know you have to get back to reporting and get out of that uh, closet you're in because you're having your own version of warming uh, there. <laughs> So can you please remind us where uh, we can find your work? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Angeli underscore Mercado and on Twitter at Angeli Mercado. And if you see supermarket above the at Angeli Mercado, you're at the right place. That's great. Well, if you don't know now, you know. Thanks so much for dropping by today, Angeli. It was so great to speak with you again. Thanks for joining me back in my closet again. Temperature Check is a podcast from Grist, produced in collaboration with Reasonable Volume. I'm your host, Andrew Simon. My co-meet today was Angelie Mercado, Gris Environmental Justice Fellow. It's produced by Brianna Flores, with editing by Elise Hugh and Rachel Swaby. Caroline Saunders is Gris Chief of Staff and this podcast marketing lead. Sound Engineering is by Mark Bush. Gris is a nonprofit, reader-supported newsroom covering climate justice and solutions. If you'd like to support what we do, you can rate, subscribe, and tell all your friends to subscribe to Temperature Check. You can also help to sustain our work by going to gris.org slash donate. That's G-R-I-S-T dot org slash donate. Thank you again so much for listening to our podcast and see you next time.